Welcome to CTO Think, a podcast about leadership, product development, and tech decisions between two recovering chief technology officers. Here are your hosts, Don Vandemark and Randy Burgess. Hey, Randy, what you've been doing this week? Hey, Don. Um, this week has been some interesting on it's interesting on the client side, some work I've been doing, and um, a potential new project uh, on the work I've been doing. Going back to APIs, I think I've talked about this project maybe last week. Um, we came to find out that a company's um, sandbox API environment was not being kept in sync with their production. And so after I found a number of issues like, hey, I can't do something in the sandbox test API that I should be able to do, they said, oh, you should quit using that. You should test in our production environment, which <laughs> I was like, okay, thanks for telling me now. I've been testing for a good month in the sandbox, but um, you know, I'll take anything that tells me how I can get to the working version, I'll do. But it speaks to possibly another topic one day of what are the different environments your team should be deploying apps? What's the value of a multi-stage type of um, deployment system? Because right now I'm pushing random things to their production and hoping it doesn't cause problems. And I'm, I, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting thing. But we are making progress. Everything seems to be working in the production better than it was working in the sandbox. So sure. Uh, that was good. Um, the other more interesting kind of development is that a potential client has been talking to me about the um, likelihood of hiring me as a part-time or, as you and I have talked about, a fractional CTO, meaning that they would kind of hire me as a consultant in the role of CTO, but I would not be like a permanent employee or equity or anything like that. And they would get some of the knowledge and experience um, I would have where I would be. And then, you know, I'd be making decisions on as though I were in the role for that firm. And for this particular startup, like I really haven't pitched that as a consulting practice yet, just because I've been pretty busy as, you know, development and everything. But in this particular case, the startup founder is willing, wanting, able to do some of the more um, kind of, I guess, roll up their sleeves work, not on the development. They're going to hire a, possibly use something, a tool that is already built. But they want that expertise of kind of technical risks management, vetting different services, making sure that things are moving along as if I had built it myself. So right. um, I don't know how much time we'll, we'll start with. We're going to be very, um, you know, tight budget for a startup. We are going to be very focused on efficient use of my time for their benefit. But it's an interesting kind of role that I have. I've done in the past, I guess, but I've never called it anything other than I'm just consulting. So this is more of a kind of formal label put on, hey, I need someone as a CTO part-time. Um, can you work in that capacity? So we'll see where that goes. It, um, I like the startup idea, and I like the founder a lot. So I think it has some good potential there um, 
for, cool. a, for a firm that needs that kind of stuff. How about you? What's going on in your world? So uh, I promise this is the last time I'll talk about the Gator 100. <laughs> um, at least this week, it's the last time I'll talk about sure. it. So um, we, we went and we did that last uh, last Thursday and Friday. It was a great event, had had a great time. Um, Aspire EDU came in at number 15 on the list, which yep. was outstanding. Um, construction specialties came in at number 88 and I'll be shocked if construction specialties isn't top 50, maybe top 25 next year, just awesome. knowing how it, how it all computes. So, um, really excited, even more exciting about, about that event was I was able to, um, learn uh, in a couple of the panels they had about all the innovation work going on at the University of Florida. Yeah. Um, at the University of Florida, there are multiple incubators there in Gainesville run by the university, yeah. um, funded by the university. The, um, the Sid Martin Biotechnology Institute is actually one of the largest biotech incubators around and has won multiple awards for being the best biotechnology incubator around. So um, that's that's really exciting when they were talking about everything they do there. Um, and then they also built two whole buildings just a couple blocks off campus to, to house an innovation hub, yeah. which is essentially a, a co-working space, a, a incubator for companies come in, get an office, get a desk yeah. and build. Um, it's for students, it's for faculty, it's for non-affiliated people. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it, it's really, really exciting stuff going on there. And, and after, um, the director of this, this hubs panel, I went up and talked to them and they're looking for mentors, advisors, people to come in and, and help some of these because students are students are having great ideas, but they don't necessarily know how to run businesses. Yeah. Faculty are great teachers have great ideas, but don't necessarily know how to run businesses. So they're looking for people who've actually executed Interesting. Um, to come in and advise. So Gainesville is only a couple hours away. I have, uh, I, I'm really excited because I, I think I'll start to get really involved with, with the, the whole community up there and really see what's going on. I'm going to break so, in because uh, what you're talking about at Florida is happening at Northwestern. When I taught, sure. when I taught my class up there, we actually did classes in what their entrepreneurial area called the garage, which happens to be a space that they built into a parking deck and which <laughs> it is a story of its own. But what I think is more remarkable is that 20 years later, like when I was at Georgia, they talked about entrepreneurship and startups, but they really, it was such a new thing. I mean, this is like around 2000 and startups, like what we know now startups to be, were just like everything was internet and going crazy sure. and no one knew how to execute anything. And the, the universities wanted to do it, but they didn't know how to support. And now what you're talking about Florida doing and Northwestern's garage they are completely taking charge of the community that they have, always have had the energy because the energy of students is way bigger than a lot right. of people that are like have careers and um, salaries. And they're doing a tremendous number of new things to support 
those students right at the peak of their drive and energy. So I think these different departments, they're still, they still need to learn a lot and they are not incubators that you have out in the Valley, but they are, they're great for those areas. Like Gainesville probably doesn't have that community until Florida jumps on it. And Evanston definitely didn't. And so I think it's a, it's a great way for universities to finally do what they talked about doing when I was in school. So, well, sure. And, and I'll, 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 Throw a couple more examples in there, and we'll just end up eating up all our time today <laughs> talking about that. <laughs> but um, first, the, the whole idea of the Gator 100, they say they borrowed that from the University of Georgia. Oh, interesting. Georgia has the has the Bulldog 100, yeah. and, and Florida says we just copied yeah. it. That's all we did. We took it and ran with it. Um, but in, in when, when I was talking to the director and when I was listening in on those panels, there was a student up there and his idea, he was an electrical engineering major, um, graduate student by now, I believe. He had built a underwater drone mm-hmm. with six cameras and it follows you when you're diving. So you no longer have to hold a camera while you're diving um, yeah. to take a picture of everything that's going on. Um, still in very early stages, but I, 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 the, the potential for that just, it, it blows my mind yeah. that, that how big that could be. It's going to be an expensive product. There's no question about yeah. that. Um, but he said the first thing they're doing is they're going out and, and doing celebrity, um, sales. Yeah. So like uh, they're giving it to the number one spear fisherman in the world. Yep. Um, and letting him go and use it for his stuff. So the other thing about it was there was a, a faculty member who was talking about his idea and how the university actually gave him time instead of research, which is what all you big universities are built yeah. on. Instead of research, the university gave him time to build this startup, yeah. um, to, to, to hash out the idea and, and see if it could go anywhere. And, the director of, of the Innovation Hub was saying that that is remarkable in and of itself, the support that the university gives faculty, because he's been other places where that did not exist. Well, um, research so, by just another name or a different approach, correct. isn't it? I mean, if you talk to anyone in the startup world, experimentation is a humongous part that we can talk talk about in a future episode. The the uh, testing markets and testing, you know, product market fit or testing the problem and various solutions. So I think maybe that's a di- this what's changing is that the tried and true scientific method is not as efficient in a business setting. I'm not sure. Um, I'm not knocking science because it means a tremendous amount for all sorts of things. But maybe a new dawn of research approaches is happening and universities are saying, oh, maybe everything we do a strict way is not the best. So I don't know. It's interesting. Well, <laughs> uh, to take that one step further, not only is it not the be- it not necessarily the best, uh, one of the speakers was the person in charge of licensing. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so, of course, research is great. But if you got research that turns into patents, turns yes. into licenses, turns into all that sort of thing, all of a sudden that's another um, source of funding for a university at a time when that's probably very important, especially for public universities. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. 
So anyway, so so we 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 got off on on that tangent, <laughs> but uh, it's something I'm really excited about, and and I'm sure as as uh, I get the opportunity to talk to more of the startups, we'll we'll bring those uh, conversations in. Sure. Um, so what I did want to talk about a little today was you and I were talking earlier um, about offices and and where developers are working yeah. and and their focus how, how I, they're able to focus you, you uh, i'll steal your thunder for a second <laughs> you were talking about an office where uh, the developers were right there with the rest of the staff yeah. and it, it was just chaos i've experienced the same thing so so talk a little bit about what you think the when what wh- how you focus developers and does that sort of everybody in the same room collaborating make sense or is, are, are there cons yeah. to that as well? Well, go. I want to dial back a little bit to what, and we can talk about this another day, but the, the idea of focus is really about any, any employee's ability based on what they do, having, whether it's quiet or at least their own environment that does not interrupt their train of thought and work and progress. And so in the case of a developer of, of a, it could be a designer or a coder or a tester, the ability to, you have to chain a lot of different events together in most cases, um, take a bunch of requirements, build a number of steps and solutions. And the ability to keep that all in a certain trait, like along a certain track without being interrupted by a conversation or noises or temperatures or whatever, or other people that may stop that train of thought is very important. And so to that degree, the environment that any person works in, being able to maintain that focus is vital. So... This week, I visited a friend who is working with a startup, and they're at a shared co-working space. And they walked me into this room that looked like a pit from the movie Boiler Room. And it was a ton. There was a huge chunk of people that were talking on headsets to I'm. They were support staff, so they were talking as far as I could tell, the clients either signing up for a product or supporting their use of a product or whatever it may be. And then against the wall with Windows space was, were, was this development team, all with an earshot. And there was tons of people moving around, and I saw people tap them on the shoulder, some people on the shoulder in the middle of their coding. And then they introduced me to everyone and I felt horrible, just not that I didn't want to meet everyone. It was just more of, I know this person's probably trying to get something done. Meeting me for just to say hello is not probably worth their interruption. And I was, I thought to myself, I cannot imagine working this way in this type of um, hectic open office type of approach. And there are certainly, there are certainly, um, stud, not, I won't call them studies, yeah. but people have put together what happens when you interrupt yeah. me, um, timelines. And, and it, it shows that 
they're in the middle of a train of thought and you come and ask a simple question and it, it takes anywhere from five to 30 minutes to get back into that, um, back into the depth of where they yeah. were. Um, so, so completely un- un- understand. And, and um, the, the, f- the thing I don't understand then is the trend towards open floor um, offices um, especially as prevalent as they seemed, and I'm going to use the past yeah. tense, prevalent as they seemed at one point. I know one of my previous employers, we went from everyone having cubicles. Now, these cubicles were only three, four feet high. So in the first place, it was yeah. already fairly open. But we went from that to an open floor plan at which, you know, all the all the one long table with, you know, five phones on it, five monitors, and you just picked one, you sat down and yeah. you started working. Um, not, not a place to get focused work done. Um, and it, 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 it was a complete mess. And yet they're sitting there saying, there are all these studies that prove that open floor and encourages collaboration and, cl- and, and improves work. And, and that might be true that it improves collaboration, yeah. but it certainly detracts from focus. And people think that if you increase one thing and decrease another, that makes it better, but certainly not in the development I, world. I think this is going to come off as negative um, to anyone that loves open offices, especially if you're a manager. But I really feel that the the trend for open offices is a result of selfish management practices that think that their ability to talk to anyone at any given time supersedes the need for their team members to be focused on anything. And then the other half are people that just follow the herd. And I think it looks great. If you can walk a team of investors past a boiler room setting. It looks like work is getting done. It looks awesome. Anytime I go to a, a shared co-working space from a couple of years ago, they had this huge open office setting and it looked like, wow, productivity is getting done here. If you look at WeWork spaces now, a lot of them have a lot of glass closed off spaces. So teams that are in them can be private from the rest of the group. So you, you're starting to see right. that trend now, even in the shared co-working spaces. But going back to my point, the idea that an open office works for everyone is only, I think, is very short-sighted. I think it's selfish because a manager, there's nothing better for a manager to constantly know and have the ability to talk to a person at any given time they want to. And if you are a manager that doesn't ever develop or understand the need for focus, you think it's beneficial to your team that you get what you want. And I would turn around and say, I bet that a good part of your productivity problems are related to the fact that you do interrupt whenever you want and that you think that this collaboration happening, and this is, there's a 37 signals post that went out this week about interruption is not the same thing as collaboration. And I am so on that train um, of it is a selfish management choice 
to choose an environment for your development team that allows people to not get into a rhythm and have that time they need to get things done and, and not to schedule the proper times for the collaboration to happen, not to say don't talk to anybody, but that's, I think it stems from ignorance and a, la- a selfishness on the part of a manager or management team to make the, to, to see things that way. I'll go one. So I'll, I'll bring up one more, even more recent trend that uh, I fully support, but I also understand the downsides to it. And I don't, I don't, it's hard to make it match up with developer focus. And that's the trend towards everyone starting to use Slack and, and collaborative tools like that. Slack is anything but a focus driven tool. It is, it is synchronous communication for the most part. You, you've done away with email, which is supposed to be asynchronous, and you've you put in synchronous communication yeah. in Slack, yet that, that, that there's a lot of buildup that, yes, it's a great tool and it frees us and all that, but yes, it, it also detracts from developer yeah. focus. Um, I, I, I get the point that um, it allows me as a manager or developer to go, hey, I'm having this problem with X, how do I solve it? And get my answer. Um, and maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's more useful to remote operations than it is to in-office operations. But what, what do you, what, how do you match up the need for developer focus with this movement towards everyone using Slack? I, well, it's interesting because when I, I was at a company about two years ago and they hired on a developer who was on our Slack channel who would go dark for two hours at a time. And at first I thought, well, that's weird. Like how am I supposed to talk to this guy for this time? And then someone asked him like, Hey, are you going to be on like, or for this timeline? And he's like, no, I'm usually off from one to three. I'll be back on at three. And I suddenly had this, um, like, like epiphany of, Oh man, this dude is doing it right. Like he, he made the, and he did, he would all of a sudden his little light on Slack around three o'clock would pop on. Didn't, didn't mean he was going to talk to you. Just meant he's there. And then if no one talked to him, he would, pop back off 15 minutes later. But I really all of a sudden had a huge respect. Now, I, I haven't done that for myself, but I had I suddenly had respect for, okay, he says he's going to go off and get things done. And he was a very productive developer for the time that I worked with him. But I was, I thought, oh, you know what? If I have, if I run a team that needs Slack or Slack becomes a distraction, I'm going to recommend this pattern to someone that is like, hey, I'm getting distracted too much to get things done because it worked for that individual. And I think that having timeouts, I mean, Slack has a feature that lets you say, I'm not here. You're still there, but you're not. And you can vary. And I, there's right. definitely channels that I say, don't send me any more alerts from this channel. I don't even want to know that there's new stuff to read. Because I'll I'll see the little sure. dot next to the channel and I'll, or to the group, and I'll be like, oh, let me see what they're talking about. I'm like, why did I look at that? 
I think that there are mechanisms for people to get through to you. Like when Megan and I, we use Slack at home between our two offices sometimes. And if I'm not paying attention and she really needs me to answer something, she'll text me and say Slack and then I'll go in and look at it. But that's like, we know that that's kind of our, I really need to talk to you and I understand this is an interruption kind of thing. So I, I, no, no, no. She's not saying Slack. She's saying Slacker. <laughs> that's that's more direct. She she uses voice communication for that type of feedback. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it's a matter of discipline and a system. But I totally agree with you that um, Slack is not is is less intrusive than open cattle call type of yelling and, and speaking, but it's not far off if people have problems with like notifications and little green dots popping up. So I do think it's something that a manager should look at as is our use of a chat system like part of a problem for our team in the need for their focus. Well, and I think this is another one of those cyclical yeah. things, right? So previously, previous email, what'd you have? Yes. You had the phone. The phone is synchronous communication. But there's a barrier to entry for phone communication. Um, some people don't like talking on the phone. Some people yeah. feel the phone's interrupting. So they might be more thoughtful about making a call. Um, and then we move to email, which is asynchronous to a degree, but then you've got managers who are like, yeah. why didn't you respond to my email <laughs> in the last five minutes? So then it's no longer asynchronous communication. It's just a very inefficient yeah. synchronous communication. Um, and then we move back to synchronous communication, which is the, uh, which is Slack and, and, and those types of things. I don't know what the next cycle of asynchronous will be, but I, I just got to yeah. feel it's coming. Um, maybe it's called waiting on your telepathic uh, thoughts or something like that. I don't blame the tools. Like uh, Slack, Slack is not the reason no. for the problem. It's It goes back to managers, the, le the leaders of the team, like establishing how does this team communicate. And I... Like when I, another example of focus, well, I started pairing, I had a, I had a team, we were on site together and one of the people on the team, um, needed, he was kind of ramping up and learning CSS and front end development. And I was the, his resource for how to, um, like learn on, on the job and get things done. And it ended up starting out where every five minutes there's an interruption from that person to me and they got tired of interrupting as much as I was like, I'm not getting anything done either. So we went into a mode of right. every 45 minutes, go ahead, like build up your list of questions and ask. And it, we, and it, 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 <laughs> it worked. It was amazing how all of a sudden that person had a struck a balance between what am I going to ask Randy in 45 minutes versus what will I figure out on my own? So th what really happened was they showed me their list of questions. And by the time, like by the end of that first week, 
they were scratching out questions before they got to me because they built that list. They started attacking them because they knew they weren't going to like talk to me for another 45 minutes or 30 minutes. And then they got more confidence, but they also were like, okay, this is a scheduled time to talk to Randy. I'm not bothering him. It's on the schedule of our mentoring kind of role. And I haven't needed to do that too much for structure, but that person and I still work together. We may work together on a new project and we still talk about it as, oh, remember when we used to pace out the question times? And I'm like, yeah, that was really smart of us to do. (laughs) I, I, I laughed because back, oh gracious, this would have been 1999 or so. Um, I had started at a new, I, I was still with IBM, yeah. but I had changed teams. Um, and, and I was still, still, you know, within my first six months there. And one day I go up to the manager, to my manager, and he's like, you know, you always walk up with a notepad of questions. You, 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 you come with lots of thoughtful things instead of just coming every yeah. two minutes asking me one question. You always come in with a boatload so that you can, it's very efficient. So I laughed when you said, and I do it today. Um, when, when, especially within construction specialties, um, I could literally pick up the phone um, and call the, yeah. the, the CEO every 15 minutes with, with different types of technical questions. Instead, I've got a list of eight of them and I wait for a couple hours and then make a call every couple yeah. hours, clean my list and then go off and, and work. So um, very much a, a process thing at that point. Uh, what I guess a point I want to make is this is not new. You and I are not talking about some new no. revelation amongst the development community. I remember when I came out of school, is it Joel Spolsky? Um, blog, like prominent mm-hmm. blogger, mm-hmm. develop he like ran a development company out of New York. I think he's a VC now. And he blogged a ton. And his company had a very unique sales pitch to their developers. And that was, we will give you a door to close in our office. And any developer worth their salt was like, oh, really? It's not about a corner office. It's not about a window view. It's about, oh, you are selling me the opportunity to be more productive than I can be in any office I've been in before. And it worked for them. They had terrific developers for a long period of time. And they use that as a selling point. And like now there's the selling point. (laughs) You see all the selling points. It's like a beer keg and a ping pong table that no one uses really um, beyond the marketing part. That's not the selling point for a good developer. A good developer doesn't want an office for status. They want an office for, for focus and time. And this has been a point of contention in the development community and management circles for at least the past 20 years. It's just that now I think that the open like workspace started becoming such a, like a antagonist towards that concept. And now we're starting to see it come back where, Hey, you know, not everyone on in your company is the same. And it's, and And I think the bigger point I want to make is that developers are not asking for quiet and privacy because they're special snowflakes. They are asking for it because 
They want to meet the deadlines and the needs of the company they work for. And I don't know anyone that says, I want a corner office in the development world for status. It is never, I've never heard that out of anyone's mouth um, as a developer, that that's what they want that peace of mind and focus time for. So do you remember specifically what piece, what asynchronous communication tool uh, Spolsky's company was responsible for? Oh, well, they had a bug report thing. They had a bug report thing. But I don't That's not it. They built Trello, didn't they? They built Trello. (laughs) Asynchronous communication. Yes. So just like Basecamp, Basecamp is asynchronous. Yeah. Um, they built Trello, which is also asynchronous. I go in, I put in a comment. Yeah. Now, <laughs> the way we've got our our Trello set up is Trello reports to Slack. Yeah. So all, once you put something in Trello, it becomes synchronous because everybody gets a notification. Yep. Um, but again, they built to to go back to that philosophy of you can close your door, you can focus. They built an asynchronous tool. You're right. The tools are not the, to blame. It's the process it's the management that decides the tools to use or in this case builds the tools yeah. I, I i bought spolsky's book many years ago yeah. when it first came out and and spolsky was there and then of course you got um jason freed yeah uh of um what was the name 30, of the co- 37 signals or base camp 37 signals yeah. of course now it's base camp yeah um, and they're s- similar thoughts yeah. uh, they they build their companies in very similar ways mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah. Um, so I would, I would recommend them. This is before I recommended reads. I would recommend people go to Joel on software.com, which is Spolsky's oh, blog. Yeah. And then of course, 37 signals has their own blog as well. Yep. No doubt. And Freed writes for, uh, Inc magazine as well. Yes. They, yeah. I mean, the base camp teams write for, all of their stuff's on signal versus noise, that blog, which is on right. medium. And they've done, they're putting out, they've done a number of books remote being um, their latest. And they have a new one coming out, which might be on the subject. At least it's on collaboration. I think right. um, they're a very, they're, they're a great test subject of a very good example of a productive company that has stayed true to these philosophies about productivity and they go, they, you know, it's part of their mantra to kind of go against the grain, but I don't feel like they do it in a reckless, like we're too cool for school. The reason we're doing this is I, they just know the, the human side of this process that we're all going through and the trends that companies and businesses are go like pushing us through are not, always in sync and they they can rant all they want about remote it's still a very it's a good topic for us in the future because it's still widely debatable amongst management whether remote teams are bad good or like or you know are in the middle and they push it one way but it's like yeah but they are succeeding with this type of approach and focus has always been one of their big things. Um, I'll, I'll save us 30 minutes on a future episode. Yeah, exactly. and give you the answer right now. Yeah. It depends. Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
So before before the listener yells at us because they've been yelling at us for five minutes, yeah. the other the other thing Spolsky's company was responsible for again asynchronous, of course, was Stack Exchange. Oh yes, yep, yes, uh, another another example of asynchronous communication. Nothing more than than a forum essentially. Yeah, just a well designed forum that you could uh, consume and reach out to on your own time. Yep. And that's a very big key. I mean, yep. if you go into why do we need um, on-demand collaboration, my answer is only in emergencies. So going yeah. back to your example of Trello hooked up to Slack, I used to do that. I mean, when, when you get into Slack as a manager and you have full use to hook up every integration they have, it's like like Christmas Day. You can I can have every alert just go into this channel and everyone can see it. And I did that with Trello and GitHub and Heroku and all of these services. And after a while, I had a channel full of alerts that I was like, I don't, I'm, I'm subscribing from that myself. And I set it up. There is, unless it's an emergency, that communication can wait. And, in, and if it's an emergency, I want it telling my phone, hey, look at this. But I don't need it in my asynchronous channel which is what I still want Slack to be, I don't need to know in there. And I don't need to have everyone know. Like, there's only two people on my teams that I need to, that need to know that the website's down. That's me and one other backup. Right. And even then, I let them choose, hey, if the monitor on the website goes down, like says it's down, how do you want to receive that? And they get to choose, not me for them. And right. it's like the pager duty, which everyone has probably done at some point in their life. But yep. but do you need a pager duty for every alert? Like, hey, Heroku's European um, zone is down. Well, we don't even host anything there. But they send out that signal across their, their um, Are We Up channel, whatever, like the uptime notifications. And I'm like, okay, well, that doesn't pertain to me, but I need to know when Heroku is having issues. So I have to somehow filter it or at least put it into a not quite emergency channel. It's right. on the individual and especially the managers to make sure that the interruptions and the feedback loops and all of that are on a pace that does not prevent progress and, and basically halt things in their track with constant breaks in attention and right and so that's why going to that trello slack is a great example because i tore them all out like i think the only thing i use right now is a couple monitors for website to like hey that's going down and even then i'm like why did i put that in this channel the i it becomes upon me on my teams to dictate what is entered into these channels other than communication and then I have to tell my folks, hey, if I post something and I don't tag you, your name in it, don't consider it vital. Like if I need your attention, I will say like at Matt or at Angelia, you know, please get back to me as soon as you can because I'm actually tagging your name to this conversation. But if I just right. ask a question out loud, you're like, I don't care or I don't know or I'm busy, then you're still busy. 
you don't have to answer that. Um, and I'll be very selective about how I utilize that name tag to conversations. That, but that's sure. on me. That's on me, the leader, the manager, to show that discipline on my side because my team has to follow my lead because, right, I'm in the position of managing things and and it's not up to them to kind of set that standard or tone. Right. Yeah, for sure. And, and it's funny, uh, as we're talking here, I, I literally went into Slack and actually cut notifications on on one specific on our Trello update channel because as we're sitting here talking, I'm going, you know what? That's that's absolutely true. I don't need I do need to be able to go back and review all the updates that were made, but I don't need to see. They don't need to pop on. Yeah, me, and they are a distraction. Yep. So um, I, I self corrected right there myself. So so lots of lots of good uh, lots of good discussion on focus, and and I'm glad we we were able to to go through that. Um, so let's let's move on. Let's wrap up sure. here. Um, recommended for this week. What's what's on your list? My recommendation this week is kind of goes back to our conversation last week with hosting. Um, I have set up, I actually went in and redid my personal website because it was kind of lame. Um, and, right. you know, we put up the CTO Think site and I've got the HOA done um, kind of landing page up. And I'm using Netlify. And this is not a sponsorship. This is just me saying <laughs> the, the ease of hosting a static site. I've hosted static sites on so many different services. Heroku straight up AWS S3, setting up all the little, you know, pieces. And I don't think for a static site, I've had quite as easy a time as I have with Netlify and their services. And that goes with like easy um, HTTPS setup, um, SSL security, the CDN um, allowing all of the picture images to be served from a more or from a faster content delivery network, the the ease of pulling right. the changes out of GitHub and just deploying them and the speed of that. Like everything that I set up in my environments in the past to be perfect that I loved is kind of like I could, it would take me almost a day to get that right where I wanted it. And Netlify kind of just gave me those tools and speed within minutes so I just want to give sure. a props to that service um, completely unsolicited in the sense that I was able to get my new, my personal site up in like a day, even when I changed all the content and just said, wow, I'm happy with this. And I'm hitting all the like high 90s on all the page speed and lighthouse audits or whatever the heck Chrome calls it. Like I'm... It was sure. just a very good experience, and I have to give props to the folks that have built that service. There are other competing ones that I know are good, but I can speak for Netlify compared to my past deployments of static sites as very good option in the field because I think they're delivering exactly what they're promising there. Sure, and we, we actually use them for the API docs um, for uh, Aspire oh, cool. ADU. So. Um, we we have that same uh, that same experience. Uh, very very good. Um, for this week, what what I'm going to throw out that we're going to do go to book club yeah. again. Um, so I I read a book called Red Notice 
by Bill Browder. Um, and it was about uh, a person who got his degree in finance and, and was looking for an opportunity out there and stumbled across when Russia was um, transitioning from state-owned businesses to private-owned mm-hmm. businesses. Everyone in Russia got a voucher for each piece of the state-owned businesses. Mm-hmm. And they were selling them very cheaply. And, and that was a, that was an underserved yeah. market. So he went in and he was able to, to invest in, in all these underserved markets and make, make lots of money. And, but what ended up happening was that whole process was getting in the way of some of the yeah. oligarchs within Russia and their power. So they started to exert whatever powers they had, um, eventually leading to, to him being, um, essentially expelled from Russia. He wasn't let back in after Mm -hmm. one trip. Um, and there, uh, and also just, he had Russian citizens working for him and one of them was imprisoned and, and eventually ended up, uh, dying, um, while, while imprisoned. Um, and that led to, the author leading a fight within the United States for sanctions against Russia for that whole process Hmm. happening. Um, So very, very good, um, real, uh, real life um, uh, story about, about intrigue and all that. So um, really highly recommended real quick read again for nonfiction, real quick read, which, which is hard to do. So again, that's Red Notice by Bill Browder, and we'll put a, a link in the show notes as well. Definitely. So um, I've got a go. I've got a couple side projects to go complete. I, I knocked one off. Uh, knocked one off earlier in the week. I, I started. I saw you started a blog post last week. I just <laughs> put one up a couple hours ago. So um, we got we got some writing to do as well. Yeah. So I think that's it for this week. Cool, man. Um, it was good to talk to you. Yeah, we will talk soon. Sounds good. Thanks. Later. Thanks for listening to the CTO Think Podcast. Show notes and previous episodes can be found on our website at ctothink.com. Reviews on Apple iTunes are always appreciated and help promote the show. Patreon contributions help us to produce episode transcripts, which allow people that are deaf or hard of hearing to access the show. If you have feedback, ideas, or want to be a guest, please email us at hello at ctothink.com. Show music is Dumpster Dive by Mark Wallach, licensed by premiumbeat.com, voiceover work by meganvoices.com. You'll hear from us next week. Thank you.